0: Hi, and welcome to episode 10 of the Conservation Crossroads podcast. My name is Carla Archibald. And I'm Rachel Friedman. And today we're talking
1: about crowdfunding nature conservation. You've probably heard of, or even given money to, a Kickstarter campaign. I have friends who've invested in everything from chocolate bars to board games. Carla, you helped fund
0: a smartwatch, didn't you? I sure did, but you know, crowdfunding is also used to support nature conservation. Crowdfunding is the practice of raising money for a
1: project or venture from a crowd of people, typically using an online platform. While we all have probably heard anecdotes of fun projects, no one has documented the scope
0: of this type of funding for conservation. So today we're talking about some new research that we were a part of, which looked at to what extent crowdfunding is being used for biodiversity conservation. We're here with the lead researcher for this work and a good friend,
1: Eduardo, who will tell us more about this work.
2: So thanks for uh, thank you very much for having me, uh, Rachel um, here in Carla. So it's a pleasure to be here. My name is Eduardo Gallo and I'm a PhD candidate at the Center for Biodiversity and Conservation Science at the University of Queensland. And I studied primarily the governance arrangements for conserving uh, migratory birds, but I have become increasingly interested in other uh, facets of uh, governance for biodiversity. One of them being, of course, the sources of funding.
0: We started this study because we didn't have an empirical baseline for how crowdfunding has been used for conservation, but we knew that it supported these types of projects. So Ed, how
1: big is crowdfunding for conservation? Uh,
2: Yeah, Some of the key results that we found, uh, I would say uh, that definitely crowdfunding uh, has been growing uh, exponentially, I would say, and I think our data actually backs that, that the growth has been exponentially. That means that people are really embracing it, and that means not just people are actually using it as on uh, proponents and different people from around the world are actively looking for funds through these platforms and these mechanisms. But it's also extend to what people actually donating money, because we are talking about not just campaigns, but actually successful campaigns, so campaigns that have been able to collect the money. And what we see, particularly uh, since 2009, was the earliest project we recorded. Uh, But then again, uh, once you go to the early 2000s, uh, since 2010, around that time to to now, the number of projects has almost uh, doubled. I mean, it has been staggering, uh, the rate at which this has been increasing. Uh, so that's definitely one of the key findings Uh, one of the other key findings is that it definitely has become a worldwide phenomenon i mean when we consider that we discover projects that have been uh, executed that have been carried out in in around 80 countries in all continents so we also discovered that crowdfunding has been used not just for research which has been traditionally what people have been talking about um, when it comes to crowdfunding is usually how it supports research. But we discovered that whilst that's the case, and and yes, uh, around 50% of the projects that we uh, studied happen to be supporting research activities. We discovered that a very large proportion of them is also supporting on-ground activities, is supporting capacity building, is supporting outreach, is supporting uh, advocacy activities. So it's really doing much more than simply supporting research.
0: I'd send a few dollars to save a penguin. Yeah, well, of course you would, Rachel. <laughs> but isn't that interesting, just how much charismatic species may factor into conservation crowdfunding, or do they?
2: Uh, in total, there were 207 species that were considered explicitly, and most of those projects that were considering those species are uh, over 80% or around 80% of those projects were concerned with one, only one species. Now, when we consider the number of species per project, um, what we discovered is that there are some species, a few species uh, had more than one project. And those species that were most Popular, I would say, while we're of course, um, well, I wouldn't say of course, but they are species that are very charismatic because they are large, they are you know, furry. Uh, so the gray wolf was one of them, the loggerhead uh, turtle, the African elephant, uh, the black rhinoceros, and, and the Bor- Bornean orangutan. Uh, the green turtle so I guess it's again not necessarily all of them are furry but all of them are large all of them are charismatic it follows the pattern that is expected I would say as on what is that is appealing to people.
0: Furry animals aside one of the main findings of this study hinted at the potential to shift funding for conservation across borders.
2: Yeah, I think resource mobilization is something central to uh, biodiversity conservation, particularly when we consider that the that conservation priorities are, are unevenly distributed around the world. And so is the capacity of different countries and different actors to be able to to take actions. Uh, so it's not surprised that uh, most of biodiversity, or those places that are more species rich around the world, are mostly around the tropics and in those places around the tropics are Basically, you know, or overlap with countries uh, that are usually low uh, have lower income economies so basically it happens to be the case that those places with the most need um for conservation are the places with somehow not just the most need for the most priority for conservation but also the most need for funding for conservation at the same time because they have lower capacity so basically there is intrinsically a need for mobilizing resources from countries where there is more funding available and somehow also less priority, so to speak, at a, at a global scale when we consider uh, species distribution, and when we are considering uh, the, the needs for international aid and, and the need for transferring funds, what we see with crowdfunding is that around a third of the projects, uh, of the 577 projects that we discovered, which we uh, considered, uh, a third of those projects were projects in which the proponents were based in a different country to where the projects were delivered. And then what we discovered was that the pattern of that pattern of distribution, where we consider the countries where these proponents were based and the project where the projects were delivered, it follows exactly the same pattern that we see in international aid for conservation. Basically, it's uh, professors or NGOs or individuals based in high income countries uh, such as Australia, such as the UK, uh, the US, delivering projects in countries with lower income economies and high conservation priority. Uh, priorities such as Indonesia, uh, such as Mexico, Costa Rica, and South Africa.
1: Thanks, Ed, for sharing your exciting research about connecting people to conservation through crowdfunding. If you want to learn more about this research, we've included a link
0: to the recent paper, plus some media within the show notes. And we'll leave you with that. Until the next catastrophic event in conservation, stay tuned into our usual program on Conservation Crossroads. (laughs) We'll <laughs>